The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins on the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the body of his, the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Holy Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I want to begin by taking you to one of my favorite places that we visited on our sabbatical in 2019, the Mesquita in Cordoba, Spain. What makes the Mesquita unique is that it is a fusion of two faiths and two architectural traditions. It was a church that became a great mosque. Mesquita is Spanish for mosque and then became a cathedral. And you can see it here in this aerial photo. I did not take that photo. I did not get up in a helicopter or bring my drone to Europe. Um, But just to give you a sense of the place, and there's a few stars on there, I just want to point a couple things out. Number one, toward the the top of the image, you can see this bell tower, right? And uh, most of this was a, a a mosque for quite some time. And so the current bell tower, it's now a cathedral, used to be a minaret. And so they used to go up into that minaret and do the call to prayer, and people would come to the mosque to pray. And now it is a bell tower that still calls people to prayer for the cathedral. Uh, as you move down, there's a, a courtyard uh, just underneath that where um, in the olden days people would do their purification rituals before entering into the mosque. It's filled with orange trees, which is very common in that part of Spain. And then um, number three, the, the lower part of the, um, of the ceiling there around number three, that was the mosque. And the mosque was built in the 700s and then expanded three more times. So it was built out between 700 and 1,000. And then uh, the cathedral, which is like where the number two is mainly, was built right in the middle of the mosque. (laughs) And so um, this building became a church again after the uh, Christian reconquest of Spain in the 1200s. And then they decided that they would build a cathedral right in the middle of the mosque, which they did in the 1500s. So it's really amazing. And the whole Mesquita complex uh, spans six acres, six acres there in Cordoba. Um, in the next photo, you'll see our family with uh, these classic red and white horseshoe arches, which are held up by some 850 columns. Um, and in the next slide, you can see how these types of architectures have been joined together inside the mesquita. So on the left, you see the Moorish red and white double arches, very classic, uh, leading to, on the right, the Christian 
Gothic arch that has Jesus on it. And then through the arch, if you look a little further, it's a little dark on the screen, but you can see the much more elaborate Moorish arches that were part of the later expansion of the Great Mosque. Um, so it's really an incredible architectural and historical site. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a little video uh, about as we were walking through the mosque. And uh, do we have sound for it? This is us with my in-laws. And at the time, and the tour guide, and at the time, they were rehearsing for an ordination service in the cathedral. So the choir and the orchestra were playing as we were walking through. after arch after arch um, and then what you're seeing here this is the last image um, is probably my favorite part of the mesquita what you're looking at is you're looking actually down and you're looking down through a glass floor to a portion of um, this complex that was excav excavated out uh, by archaeologists and reveals this mosaic floor underneath the mesquita um, and the mosaic floor dates from um, the Visigothic period. The Visigoths were the native tribe in Spain that ruled after the fall of the Roman Empire, and this probably belonged to or was the floor of a Visigothic church, and that floor probably dates from about 500 to 600, possibly earlier. It's super ancient, and so from the Visigothic floor, beneath the mesquita all the way up to the top of the cathedral you have about a thousand years of history architecture and religious faith all represented in this one place and i love the mesquita for the way it is a window into the richness and the complexity of church history um, I fell in love with church history when I was in divinity school, and I probably took most of my classes in it, um, even thought about doing a PhD in it. And one of the reasons I fell in love with church history was seeing the ways in which people practice their faith through all different kinds of times and events and cultures and changes and challenges, and the way God's people and faith adapted and evolved over the centuries. Often when we think about church history, we think about our history and maybe that of our parents or grandparents. So maybe we think in terms of the last 100 or 200 years, if we are lucky. And in the Lutheran tradition, we often revisit the Reformation in Germany in the 1500s. But there's so much more to the church and church history, whether it's the earliest church that took root in the Mediterranean world, even as it was being persecuted, or the emergence of great theologians like Ambrose, Augustine, and Jerome, who gave greater shape to the Christian tradition the flourishing of monasticism, the preservation of knowledge during the Dark Ages, then the birth of scholasticism in universities, the emergence of Protestant traditions, not just Lutheran, but Reform and Anglican and more, and all along the way, the evolution of architecture and music, theology, reform movements, great preaching, great cathedrals, adapting to all kinds of geography, languages, and cultures.
The lesson of church history for me, which is reflected in the Mesquita, is that Christianity is resilient and flexible. The church has endured and adapted, thrived and faltered and reinvented itself time and again. The people of God throughout that history have been amazingly creative and courageous through times of peril and plague, and we are the inheritors of their legacy and their faith. These are the kinds of things that come to mind for me as we gather for our worship and our annual meeting for today. It's a day to look back with gratitude on what's come before us, for how God has worked among us in this past year, and to look forward with faith and hope and anticipation of what God will do. It's a day to claim our rich inheritance, a day to pause and remember that we are now the stewards of this faith that has been handed down to us. Speaking of monumental buildings, our gospel lesson this morning is the story of Jesus cleansing the temple in Jerusalem. And while this event happens toward the end of Jesus' life in the other gospels, in John it comes toward the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. After he cleanses the temple, the people ask him, what sign can you show us to justify this? And Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They say to him, this temple's been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was talking about himself, his death, and his resurrection. The temple, which was the second temple built in Jerusalem, stood there between 516 BCE and 70 CE, when it was destroyed by the Romans as retaliation for a Jewish uprising. And all that is left of that temple today is the Wailing Wall that you see there. And the 46 years that they refer to is likely referring to the renovation and expansion that was going on during Jesus' time. And so by the time that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem around 30 CE, the temple had been standing there for over 500 years, and it spanned 36 acres, about 27 football fields. It was preposterous to think that the temple could be destroyed and raised again in three days, but Jesus there was talking about his resurrection, that after three days he would rise again, that this new and abundant life could not be contained in a building, but would be contained in him, and not just in Jerusalem, but everywhere, and not just for Jews, but for all people. The temple, like the mesquita, was a symbol of faith, but it could not contain the faith and the love of God. You know, when my daughter Ellie was around three years old, she had this game that she loved to play. She would get out her building blocks, and we would build churches. Clearly, she's a pastor's kid. And we would build tall, towering churches, short, fat churches, classic churches, and modern churches, any kind of church at all with these building blocks. And as we would build, I'd try to point out some interesting tidbits about the church architecture, which she was not interested in at all. And then, once every block was in place, Ellie would threaten to destroy the church. (laughs) Maybe that's also part of being a pastor's kid. I don't know. Uh, And at her insistence, I interceded on behalf of the church using her stuffed turtle, whose name was Crush, from Finding Nemo. And so Crush would beg and plead, and Ellie would cleverly pretend to relent, and then she'd look away and quickly throw her arms into the church, and everything would come tumbling down. And we did it again and again and again, as a three-year-old can do. Always the same way, 
always with the same result, and then we would build the next church. Almost, these almost two years of COVID have felt a little like that. COVID disrupted just about everything, and it accelerated every trend that churches in the U.S. have been facing. Changes in technology, shifts in the ways people affiliate, belong, attend, and give, and people's reassessment about their relationships to all the institutions in our civic life. These were all things that were already happening since the mid-90s, and we would have expected them all to play out over the next 10 or 15 years. But they all came to fruition in less than two. And like all churches, we have done our best to respond and adapt and to reassemble those building blocks and add some new ones in to rebuild, retool, and live and share our faith in this new day. And as I looked back on this past year as I was writing my report, I thought it had been remarkable Uh, A remarkable past year with getting back to in-person worship for Easter, live streaming our worship, which has been a lifeline for many people, our ability to host hybrid in-person and Zoom gatherings, and finding new ways to do just about everything. Better and more integrated worship planning, a new communications position, our incredible tornado response, finding new ways to gather like Winterfest, combining the things we've learned during COVID with our pre-COVID traditions. And I have to say, I've never seen our church staff work harder or work together better in this past year, and they have been really amazing. And at the same time, as we've been doing all this, we've been looking forward, and I'm excited for you to hear more about our mission, vision, and values and our forward and faith strategic plan during the annual meeting. They speak of how we take what we love and what we value and move forward together in this new time. All of our history tells us that our faith is resilient. It's full of hope because we believe in a God that is bigger than any challenge we face individually or together, a God who loves us and empowers us to live and love and serve others. None of us expected everything that's transpired over the last two years. None of us have ever had to deal anything like it. None of us would have chosen to walk this path. It has been hard, and yet it has been full of grace. But here we are moving forward, hopeful, resilient, faithful, like those who have come before us, building on our history and reaching for God's future. And finally, I love how our reading from 1 Peter invites us to be these living stones. It says, Come to him, a living stone, chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house. Living stones built into a spiritual house. In the coming year, may God refashion us to meet the needs of this time, just as God has done for the church in every other time, to the needs of our people, to the needs of our neighbors, and the needs of the world. May we be like living stones joined together in faith, joined as a spiritual house, that even in challenging and uncertain times, a house that proclaims God's goodness, extends God's mercy, and lives at the heart of love. Amen.